seated. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead. He is not here. Amen. He is risen. Happy Easter. We're, we're here this morning. That's right. We can get excited about it. I mean, if there's anything to clap about, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. And we're, we're here this morning because he rose from the grave. And we have uh, power over sin. We have victory in life because Jesus rose from the grave. So good morning, uh, welcome to First Baptist Church. We're glad to have you here for uh, service this morning. We're glad to be worshiping with you on this Easter morning. And if you're a guest with us, I just uh, want to point you to the little white guest registration card there in the pew rack in front of you. You'll see a little white card. And if you can take just a moment to fill that out at the conclusion of the service, as we're exiting, you can head down to your left there and you'll see the welcome desk. And if you don't mind to drop that in uh, the box, our lead pastor will be there at the, at the conclusion of the service and he would love the opportunity to meet you and you can give him that card or there's a little box that you can drop it in and he's got a small gift for all first-time guests so we're excited to have you here this morning I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to continue to worship oh father God we thank you for Easter we thank you uh, that we can celebrate the fact that we worship a, ri a, ri a risen living God thank you father 
uh, that by raising from the dead that you overcame sin, you overcame death, you show power over life. Father, this morning as we worship you, we just look forward to hearing from your word. We look forward to singing praises. And, and Lord, we pray that our, our singing is, and worship is, is pleasing to you, Father. We thank you for the chance to hear from your word, to be changed by it, and maybe changed for eternity. Lord, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand as we continue to sing? they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon him Hallelujah, 
We sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, the Lamb has overcome. We sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, the Lamb has overcome forever he is This is a celebration, this day, celebrating the fact that our God is alive. You know, there are so many religions around the world who worship a dead God, you know. But we worship the one true God who is alive and well. Man, if that doesn't get your blood flowing and get your, you know, foot tapping, <laughs> then, uh, then I don't know what will. But now I'm going to give you a chance. To get your foot tapping. All right, get, this is this is gonna get you going. All right, you ready? This is called Alive Forever. Amen. All right, here we go. Pull up your bootstraps. Here we go. One, two, three. Let the children sing a song of liberation. The God of our salvation set us free. Death, where is thy sting? The curse of sin is broken. The empty tomb stands open. Come and see. He's alive, alive, alive. Hallelujah, alive. Praise and glory to the Lamb. Alive, 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 hallelujah, alive forever, amen. Let my heart sing out for Christ the one and only, so powerful and holy, rescued me. Death won't hurt me now because he has redeemed me. The grave will never keep me from my peace. I'm alive, 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 hallelujah, alive, praise and glory to the Lamb. Alive, 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 hallelujah, alive forever, amen. Alive, alive, hallelujah, alive, praise and glory to the Lamb. Alive, 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 hallelujah, alive forever, amen. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy of a praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King, worthy is the Lamb, worthy of a praise, 
Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance. Let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy of the praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance. Let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy of the praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance. Let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy of the praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance. Let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy of the praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance. Let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy of the praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance. Let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy of the praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance. Let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy of the praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance. Let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy of the praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance. Let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Why? Forever of men. He's alive. Forever of men. Amen. Amen. I'm worn out. How about y'all? Y'all tired? Okay. Have a seat. Well, good morning. It's a joy to be with you in Easter today. It's especially sweet this year. Last year, during the height of the pandemic, we uh, met only online virtually uh, last year. And we still welcome those who are worshiping online with us this year. We're glad that you're a part of this. But it's sweet to be together in person, isn't it? So we praise God on this Easter Sunday for that opportunity. Um, amen. Hey, I want to take just a moment to look ahead to next week and invite you to come back next Sunday. It's going to be a special celebration also in the life of our church. This past week, we paid off our loan on our buildings, and we're going to celebrate next Sunday the end, the culmination of about a 20-year process of building and paying off loans. We're going to share the history of that. We're going to burn the note. We're going to shoot off confetti. We're going to give away free candy bars, and we're going to give glory to God for what he's done. So it's going to be special. hope you'll come next Sunday uh, and be with us uh, in that time. We gave away $100,000 bars when we gave our first $100,000. So you can guess between now and next Sunday what we're going to give you next Sunday, okay? Today, I want us to think together. I want you to ask you to think about your worldview. Your worldview is just how you view the world. It's how you make sense out of life. And somebody has said, uh, worldview is like your belly button. Everybody has one, but we don't talk about it very much. Well, that's, that's true. You've got a worldview. You've got some way you make sense out of life. And your worldview is basically 
how you answer four questions. I want to show these to you. The questions are, where did I come from? Why am I here? Or how do I find meaning or, or happiness in life? And where am I going? Everybody in some way, whether you're conscious of it or not, answers those four questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? How do I find happiness and significance in life? And where am I going? Well, today I want us to focus on just the fourth one. We'll look at other times of these others. But today on Easter, I want us to look at that fourth question. Where am I going? That is, what's going to happen to me at the end of my life? What's going to happen when I die? You have to deal with that question. What's your answer to that? Humans have come up with four basic answers to that question where am I going? The first answer is that when I die, I cease to exist. Have you ever had a mosquito on your arm and you slap it? And when you kill that mosquito, it just ceases to exist. It has no soul. It has no afterlife. It's just gone. And one worldview is that's the way it is with those of us humans. We just cease to exist. This is the worldview of materialists and most atheists, that there's no spiritual dimension to life, that the physical, the material is all there is. The only reality is material. And so when you die, you're just like a cockroach or a mosquito. You just cease to exist. A second worldview that humans have come up with is that when I die, uh, I'm absorbed back into the universe like a drop of water that is dropped into the ocean. This is the view that you will have no individual existence after death, that you're just absorbed back into the great cosmos. This is the worldview of most of Buddhism, that there'll be no individual existence. You're just absorbed back into the universe. A third worldview that humans have come up with is reincarnation. That is, that you're soul, your spiritual nature, will inhabit another body, another life form. And if you've been a, a good person, it may be a higher life form. And if you've been a bad person, it may be a lower life form. But that you're going to go through continuous cycles of reincarnation. That's the worldview of Hinduism and a lot of other Eastern religions. And the fourth main answer to this question, where am I going, what happens to me when I die, is the Christian worldview. And the Christian worldview is that you were created in the image of God and that you will have an existence beyond your death, either in heaven or hell. That you will be you for all eternity and you are a soul created in God's image and that after you die, you'll continue to have that existence. I want to share with you two verses of Scripture this morning that sort of summarize the Christian worldview and answer to this question, what's going to happen to me when I die? It comes from the pen of Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, in Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Let me read it to you, and then we'll, we'll take it apart. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So the Christian hope 
is a living hope. And I want to share with you, first of all, verse 4, and it shares the character of that hope. And then we'll go back to verse 3 and see the foundation for that hope, okay? So look at, first of all, at verse 4. We have a living hope, an inheritance that is reserved in heaven. Reserved in heaven. Verse 4, Peter writes, we have an inheritance that can never, and he uses three words, perish, spoil, or fade. He wants to give you the idea of the certainty of this. You don't have to live your life wondering what's going to happen to you when you die. You can have an inheritance that is guaranteed never to perish, like milk, or spoil, or fade. It is, that it says, kept in heaven for you. The word kept there could be translated reserved It's the word for a reservation. Do you have a reservation in heaven? The way to know that you're going to get to heaven is to have a reservation. Now, you ever made a reservation somewhere uh, for a hotel room when you were going to go on a trip? And it gave you some assurance that when you got there, you'd have a place for you because in advance, you made a reservation. Have you ever gone somewhere without a reservation and you couldn't get in? I have. Our family went to Rocky Mountain National Park one summer. I didn't know that Estes Park, the little town right south of it, is a big tourist destination. We just showed up one evening, find a hotel room, went to hotel, to hotel, went to Chamber of Commerce. There was nothing. Finally had to drive to another town because we didn't have a reservation. Do you have a reservation for heaven? You've got to make a reservation now to know that you're going. When you make a reservation, it says that you can have a living hope that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept, or reserved in heaven for you. That's the Christian hope. That's where we're going. Now, how do we know that's true? What's the basis for believing that I have a reservation in heaven What's the basis for believing that this inheritance that I have will never perish, spoil, or fade? So let's look back at verse 3, and we find two roots or two foundations. First, a historical one, and then a personal one. First of all, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see it there? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter was in his 60s when he wrote this. But he wasn't just speculating. When he was in his 20s, or maybe 30, 30, 40 years ago, he had been a follower of Jesus, and he was there. Jesus, uh, as he got near the last months of his ministry, he began to predict to his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem be rejected by the chief priests, be killed, and on the third day he was going to rise again. When he first made this statement to his disciples, Peter took him aside and said, Lord, we won't ever let that happen to you. And Jesus said, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. This is part of God's plan. And so even though Jesus predicted it, the disciples, it just just didn't sink in. Sure enough, they went to Jerusalem. Sure enough, on Passover, on what we call Good Friday, Jesus was killed on a cross, took his body down, and two of his followers arranged for him to be in a tomb, and there were some women that watched where he was buried. They had been his followers, 
And so they watched him buried. They wanted to anoint him with spices, which was the custom, sort of the way you showed respect to someone you loved. But it was just before Sabbath began, just before 6 p.m. The Jews would not do work on Sabbath. So from 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. Saturday, they, they couldn't do anything. After the Sabbath ended, Mark's Gospel says, at 6 o'clock on Saturday, these women went to a shop and bought the spices that they would use and took them home and prepared them. But it was too late then. It's dark. It's too late to go. So their first real opportunity to go pay their respects was on Easter Sunday morning. And so they got up early and they went to the tomb. And when they got there, the tomb was empty and there was an angel there that said, He's not here. He's risen just as he said. Go tell his disciples. These women ran to find the 11 disciples and they told them uh, that, that the tomb was empty. And Peter and John took off running for the tomb. John was faster and he got there first and he, he looked in and he saw that the grave clothes, the linen that Jesus' body had been wrapped in was just lying there in its place and what had been wrapped around his head was just lying it in its place and John knew that his body couldn't have been moved or stolen. You wouldn't unwrap it and the clothes were just there like they had been. And then Peter catches up and he barrels in past John to the tomb and he looks at everything and in bewilderment, they don't understand. And sometime during that day, Jesus appeared to Peter. We don't have any details about that in the gospel, but 1 Corinthians says he appeared to Peter, and the two disciples who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus came back later that afternoon and said, Peter's right, he is alive. Uh, they, apparently, Peter, he, he'd appeared to Peter, and, and uh, nobody believed him, because, yeah, you're the one who denied him. Like, yeah, he's going to appear to you. Sure, he did. They said, he's right. And while they were talking about this, Jesus, that Sunday night, appeared in their midst. And he said to them, look at my, the wounds in my hands. And he showed them in his side where a spear had been pierced through, so they would know it was really him. And they were still doubting. And he said, well, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of fish, and he ate it in front of them so that they would know he was real and he was alive. Peter is an eyewitness. And Peter Years later, after years of persecution and trial, he still hangs to that story. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What's going to happen to you when you die? Why don't you get your worldview from the one person who has been there and has come back? Jesus is the only one who knows what happens beyond death because he's the only one who has died and been raised from the dead. Shouldn't we listen to him? Uh, let me share it with you this way. Suppose that you were planning to take a trip to Australia. And I said to you, well, I'd be glad to talk with you and share with you some places to go, some things to see, some of the foods to try, sort of some tips to watch out for. Uh, when you go to Australia. And you might say, well, well that'd be great. When did, when did you go to Australia? And I would say to you, I've never been to Australia. And you'd say, well, I, I thank you, but if I'm going to find out what to do and see in Australia, I'd really like to talk to somebody who's been there, right? Listen, don't get your worldview from Buddha or Muhammad or from Oprah. They've never been there. 
Jesus is the only one who has been there and has come back. And if I get my worldview about what's going to happen to me when I die, I want to get it from somebody who's really been there, don't you? Now, some people are very taken by these people who have after-death experiences. And they, get, they read those books and they get real excited about people who have uh, been in a hospital and their spirits left their body and they've seen these lights and everything and they've come back. And so they, they sort of base their worldview on those things. So let me tell you another story. When Cindy and I went to Israel, <clears throat> we flew from New York, and our plane stopped in Vienna, Austria to refuel and resupply. We couldn't get off the plane, but I thought, I'm in Vienna, Austria. I'm going to look out the window and see what it looks like. And I looked out the little window of that plane, and it was night, and it was foggy, and there were some bright lights, and I saw those bright lights. I've been to Vienna, Austria, <laughs> but listen... Don't get your view about Vienna, Austria from me. I never got off the plane. These people have near-death experiences. Yeah, they may have been there. They never got off the plane. Jesus is the only one who got off the plane. Jesus is the one who was dead for three days and come back to life. He's the expert, and I want to base my hope on him. And Peter says, I was there, and we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's how you can know when your loved ones face death, when you come near the end of your own life, that you do not have to approach it in fear, but that you have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Now, that's the historical basis to, for our worldview. What's the personal basis? In other words, because Jesus has risen from the dead and come back and told us about it, we know what's beyond there, but how do I know that I'm going there? How do you know that you are going to heaven? Verse 3 also tells us not only the historical root of this hope, but the personal root. Look at it again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. So we have a living hope because we're born again by God's mercy. We're born again by God's mercy. Again, Peter is speaking from experience. You see, the night before Jesus died, he gathered his disciples together and he told them, now, you're going to desert me for a while. And Peter said, oh no, I'm not going to desert you. And Jesus said, Peter, I, I want to prepare you. You're not only going to desert me, but before we get up tomorrow morning, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times that you even know who I am. And Peter said, never. Later that night, <clears throat> they came to arrest Jesus and Peter tried to be true to his word. He drew a sword. He was determined to defend Jesus with his life. But when Jesus surrendered, he was confused. He didn't know what to do. He ran, just as Jesus said. But he followed from a distance. And he followed that arresting party to Caiaphas' house, the place of the trial. And he waited outside, watching through a doorway or a courtyard or an open window. And he warmed by a fire that cool spring night. And repeatedly somebody recognized Peter and said, aren't, aren't you one of the disciples? And no, no. And finally with curses and oaths, no, I never knew him. 
And Jesus looks from within and makes eye contact with Peter. And Peter realizes what he has done and he weeps. He failed. But after the resurrection, as Jesus made repeated appearances to his disciples in the days and weeks after he came back from the dead, in one of those appearances, Peter was fishing, and Jesus appeared on the shore, and Peter realized who it was and swam to Jesus, and they met there and had breakfast together on the shore with Jesus and the, the 11 disciples, or some of the, not 11, but several of the disciples. And Jesus three times asked Peter, do you love me? Three times, just like the three times he denied him, bringing him through a a process of repentance and forgiveness and restoration. And he said, I've got a mission for you. Feed my sheep. You see, Peter had experienced failure. Peter knew that he didn't deserve to have a home in heaven, but God had forgiven him. And by his great mercy, he would write, praise to the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. Peter knew the mercy of God. You see, when I talk to you about the Christian worldview of heaven, you should know that in America, there are two sort of sub-variations of that worldview, erroneous aberrations from it. One of them is what might be called universalism. That is, that everybody's going to heaven. So there's some in America who would sort of have a quasi-Christian worldview. Yeah, there's a heaven, But everybody, they say, is going there. That's universalism. Everybody gets to go to heaven. And at first, that sounds really good. God's merciful. He's loving. Why wouldn't God just let everybody into heaven by his mercy? But there are a couple of problems with that worldview. One is it sacrifices justice. There's no justice. And if you've been the victim of a crime or you've had a child abused, then in that worldview, there is no accounting Everybody goes to heaven. There is justice is sacrificed. And the second problem is the problem of evil. If everybody goes to heaven and there's no change, why aren't there going to be rapists and murderers and abusers in heaven? Because they're just going to go. There's no change. Universalism does not deal with justice or with the problem of evil. But the Christian worldview says that justice is served because the just penalty of sin has fallen upon God's Son, Jesus Christ, voluntarily. And there is hope because of that. The other then worldview that's a little more prevalent than universalism is another aberration, the Christian worldview in America. Most Americans would believe what might be called moralistic deism. Now that's a big term and people don't know it by that term. But what it means is there's a God out there somewhere. Yeah, I believe there's a God. And I believe there's a heaven. And Good people go to heaven. Not universalism, but good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. And that's what most people in America, that's their worldview. There's a God somewhere, he's vague, don't know much about him, but there's a God. And we live after death, and yeah, the real bad people are going to go to hell, but good people are going to go to heaven. And so what we do in that worldview, we set the bar of who goes to heaven just below where we are. So we say racists and adulterers and murderers and rapists and terrorists, they go to hell. 
unless you've committed adultery. Then you lower the bar right below that and say, well, just racists and murderers and terrorists, you know? And the bar is just lowered right below wherever you are, right? The problem with that is, as Peter would tell you, the bar is above the head of all of us. None of us is good enough to get to heaven. All of us are sinners. Nobody's going to go unless you're born again. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth to a living hope. So nobody's going to heaven on our own. None of us deserves it. We're all sinners. But you can become a new person. You can be born again. Let me ask you, have you been born again? The only way to have a reservation to get into heaven is not be a church member or have been baptized or be a good person or do good deeds or a good citizen. It is to be born again. You may say, well, I didn't come from a denomination that talked about being born again. Well, look at what the Bible says here. The Bible says, by his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The only way you're going to get there, you're just like Peter, you've messed up. But you can, anyone can go. If you're born again by the mercy of God, by his mercy, he makes it available to every person. And that's the basis of our hope. I know I'm going to heaven because Jesus has been there and come back and has told me that. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again and take you to be with me so that where I am, there may be also. And I know it because even though I don't deserve it, by his great mercy, I've repented of my sin and put my faith in Jesus and have been born again. And if you will simply turn from your sin, say, I'm sorry for that. I don't want to be like that anymore. And if you'll put your faith in Jesus, I believe Jesus died and rose again. I ask him to forgive me. I accept what he's done on the cross for me. Then you can have that hope as well. That's the Christian worldview of where we're going. Let me tell you a story. Back in December, I uh, talked about Christian biographies and suggested Christian biographies. So somebody gave me, uh, one of our church members since then, uh, the biography of Adoniram Judson. I'd read it one account before, but it reminded me of a story in his life, and I want to share it with you. Adoniram Judson was born in 1788, or colonial America, and his parents were Christians, had a Christian worldview. In fact, his dad was a minister, congregational preacher in New England. And they raised him in a Christian worldview, and he went off to Brown University, which they thought would be a good thing. It was a solid Christian school. But at Brown University, at Adoniram Judson began to encounter some other worldviews. He encountered a worldview of what was called deism then. There's a God. He's out there somewhere, but he doesn't have anything to do with our lives, and we just make our lives on our own. And so he sort of bought into that worldview. There was an upperclassman you're too older than him, named Jacob Eames, he became good friends with. And this was Eames' worldview, and he sort of, and he sort of influenced uh, Adoniram that uh, your Christian worldview is, is antiquated. It's not, it's not uh, relevant anymore. And the modern worldview is, yeah, there's a God, and he had something to do with the creation of the universe, but we just make our own destiny now. Nothing's going to happen uh, any different from that. And so... This brilliant young man, Adoniram Judson, graduated as valedictorian of Brown University, his class, when he was 19 years old. This 19-year-old went home after college, told his mom and dad that he no longer accepted the Christian worldview, no longer called himself a Christian. They were heartbroken. 
He went to New York City to become an actor, fell in with a troop of actors that uh, lived a, a, a very uh, questionable lifestyle, and they would move into a place and then move out before the rent came due. And uh, He lived that life for a period, but he found it to be empty. He thought the big city was going to be so... Um, so fulfilling and it was empty and he didn't know what to do and he set off on his horse going to go riding west going to go west toward the frontier and so he stopped at an inn for the night and asked for a room and the innkeeper said there's only one room available and I don't think you want it it's next to a man who is very sick you can hear him uh, from your room and in fact he may be dying and Judson said, I am exhausted, I'm tired, I I can sleep through anything, I'll take the room. He took the room and sure enough, he heard the the moaning and the groans of this man next to him and not only through the wall, the moaning and groaning, but heard this man say, oh God, lost, lost. And in the middle of the night, when we really look at our lives, he began to doubt his newfound worldview and wondered is there really a God really a heaven really a hell and and what's going to happen to me when I die and he he pushed aside these thoughts and thought this why am I thinking this way what would what would my friend Jacob think about me thinking like this finally it became quiet he slept just a few minutes before dawn got up and when he got up at dawn he felt different you know when you get in the morning Didn't have those doubts anymore. He'd sort of gotten over those thoughts of death. Went downstairs to pay his bill. And uh, he inquired of the man in the room next door, said, uh, it got quiet in the morning. Uh, um, Did he get better? And the innkeeper, no, said, no, I'm sorry he died. He said, oh, what was his name? He said his name was Jacob Eames. And Adoniram Judson realized that next door to him had been that best friend from college who had convinced him that there was no hell and there was no heaven and there was just a vague God. And he said for hours, I couldn't leave that in. I just sat there. And I realized that my worldview had come crashing down on me, that he in his last days had faced the reality of God and that I had faced it too. And he got on his horse and he turned back from the west and turned east to his family, and to his Christian worldview. And Adoniram Judson was born again, became a believer in Jesus Christ, went on to Burma, but become the pioneer missionary to Burma, won thousands of people to Christ, giving his life in sacrifice as a missionary to Burma. What's your worldview? What's going to happen to you when you die? Let me offer you on this Easter Sunday morning this hope, this worldview. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance which is will not perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Would you right now say, God, I want to know that I have a reservation in heaven. I believe it's true because of the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to be born again. Would you right now, while you're looking at me, call out to Jesus and say, Oh, Jesus, I want to be born again. I repent of my sin. I put my faith in you. I want to know that I have a reservation 
in heaven. Oh God, hear our prayers. And for those of us who have already had that reservation, may we rejoice today, realizing that whatever comes your way tomorrow, it will never perish, it will never spoil, it will never fade. It is kept in heaven for you. Praise be to the name of God. I'm going to be at the Welcome Center after our closing prayer. If today you prayed to receive Jesus and to be born again, please come by and tell me. We'll have baptism two weeks from today. You could be baptized. If you want to join our church, stop by and see me. You can do that this morning right there at the Welcome Center. We'd welcome you into our church family. Will you stand with us and let's sing together.
Well, amen. Thank you, Dr. Cox, for an incredible message. Thank you, praise team and Todd, for leading us in worship. And uh, we want to give you an opportunity to continue to worship. On our back wall there, there are two drop boxes, and that's where you can worship through giving. So we'd invite you to go and give your tithes and offerings there as you uh, leave the worship center. And then also, if you're here, we invite you to stay for another hour to be a part of a connection group. We have groups for every age and stage of life that you may be in. If you go by the Welcome Center, you can get information about groups and uh, how you can be a part of that. Also, as you leave the worship center, there in the middle in the foyer, uh, there is a cross with some chicken wire and everything around it. And you're invited to take a flower and place it on that cross. And then throughout this Easter Sunday, we'll look at the cross full of flowers and it'll be a beautiful representation of the new life. Uh, that the resurrection brings. So we invite you to be a part of that uh, as well. So let's, uh, let's take a moment, let's pray together, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, you are so good to us. And God, I thank you that you live the life that we could not live. And God, that you died the death that we all deserve. And you rose again, defeating death by death. God, thank you for this good news. May we hold it out to those that we encounter this week. We thank you for it all in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thank you. One, two, three, four. I'm alive, I'm alive because he lives. Amen. Amen. Let my song join Yeah.